0: god is always true to his word he'll always complete every promise he makes this is the first message in the series reasons to believe this message is entitled i believe because of the words he spoke here is pastor dale O'Shields. shields father i pray that this evening as we gather together in your name as we've taken this opportunity to set aside this moment in our week to study your word we ask that you speak in a very clear way we ask that Something would come to our hearts and minds this weekend that Lord would just be fresh and new about who You are and how You want to work in our lives. We welcome Your Holy Spirit to take the Word of God, apply it to each one of us in a very unique way tonight, right where we need it. We thank You for it in Jesus' name, Amen. Grab your Bibles if you will, and your notes are going to be on your uh, app. If you want to download that app, it's uh, easy to get. Just uh, my C O R app is right there for, your, for you on the phone. iOS or also Google Play. And I want to share, as I said a moment ago, a new series of messages called Reasons to Believe, How to Have Confidence in Jesus Christ. We're going to be in the Gospel of John. I'll come back to talk a little bit more about the Gospel of John in just a moment. But I want to start by asking you a very important question for your life. And the question is kind of a broad question in lots of different areas. And the question is, what do you believe? What are the? What's the belief system in your life? What do you really believe to be true? Some beliefs are insignificant. You can believe certain things, and they become opinions. You might think Chevys are a lot better than Ford, or you might think Ford's are better than Chevys. That's not going to determine your eternity. You can have opinions about a lot of different things in life and beliefs about certain things, but they're... They're not necessarily going to determine what ends up in your life or where you end up in life, but there are other beliefs that are, that are essential for what happens with your life and, and as the Bible teaches us, they're essential for your eternity, not just now but forever. And If you don't get those beliefs right, if you don't understand what you really need to be believing based upon truth, then you're going to find yourself living a life that is less than what you want it to be and find yourself coming short in eternity. And so we want to talk about the essence of what the Bible says regarding belief, especially belief when it comes to Jesus Christ. And what are we to believe about Him? And what does the Scripture teach us related to Him? And what should form the core of our beliefs as Christian believers regarding who Jesus is and how Jesus works in our life? That's the focal point for the next five weeks. And so I don't want you to miss it as we go from now until Easter Sunday morning and really laying out what are we to believe about Jesus. And I said a moment ago, and I'll remind you that through this series, we're going to be looking at the Gospel of John. Our primary focus during this next season of our church life is the simple Gospel of John, the fourth Gospel. To understand the Gospel of John, you obviously need to understand where it comes in the sequence of time and and what the purpose of that letter is in the New Testament. We know the Gospels to be Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John, the fourth gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are unique in their flavor, unique in the way that they present the story of Jesus. The way I'd like to describe it to you is that each of these writers inspired by the Holy Spirit also have distinct personalities and they have distinct focus points when they're writing. Matthew, as he writes his gospel, he is writing inspired by the Holy Spirit and focusing a lot upon the Jewish nation and Jews and helping them to understand Jesus as the King of the Jews. When Mark is inspired by the Holy Spirit, he's teaching a lot of what Peter has taught him, and so Peter has a lot of the information that Mark is presenting has come through Peter, and and Peter really focuses on the Gentiles and a lot on the Romans because the Roman culture was was really very pervasive during that time and that age, and so Jesus' message needed to be clear to the Romans. Luke was a, a medical doctor; he was a physician. And Luke, as a physician, wants to write a very detailed account of the ministry of Jesus. And so he does so, and his focus is really upon the Gentiles, upon the Greeks, upon those that maybe are outside of the normal realm that would have been exposed to the ministry of Jesus. So all three of these, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are called the synoptic gospels. The word synoptic just simply means to see together. It means that you bring those together. And so you'll find when you do your Bible study that Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very similar. They tell many of the same stories just from a little bit of a different angle. I like to describe it this way. It's like taking a picture of a landscape and you might take one picture from this angle and then you might go over and take another picture from another angle. You might do an aerial view of of that landscape and it's still all the same landscape. You're just looking at the picture from different angles. It's Matthew's angle it's Matthew's shot, it's Mark's angle, it's Luke's angle. But when you come to John, the gospel of John, it changes. It's a very different kind of gospel. It doesn't start the way the other gospels do. It starts very differently. And the content of the, of the teachings of John are very, very different in many ways. Complementary, certainly, and certainly not contradictory to Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But he gives a different flavor because he has a different purpose in writing. And in fact, we find in the gospel of John chapter 20, I want you to notice the very reason why John wrote his gospel. And by the way, it's the final gospel. It was written uh, somewhere around 90 AD, and John is a very old man by this time. He's lived through all the other disciples. The apostles are dead by this time. He's the last one of the original apostles that are living at this point in time. He's living most likely in Ephesus. And for many years, perhaps had been even the bishop at the Church at Ephesus there, and he's writing as an old man, having gone through uh, his his exile to the Isle of Patmos and gone through all kinds of things in his life. And he writes these words as he comes to the twentieth chapter of the Gospel of John. By the way, there are twenty-one chapters in the Gospel of John. It's a great exercise to take twenty-one days and read a chapter of John uh, a day, and in twenty-one days you can get can get through the entire book of John just in twenty-one days. But when we come to chapter 20. He says, I want you guys to know why I even took the time to write this. I want you to know why. I put pen to paper at this old age in my life and and shared these thoughts with you or these inspired words from the Holy Spirit, I want you to know the reason behind it. And Here's what he writes in verses 30 and 31 of John chapter 20. He, he, he writes and says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. So he's alluding to the fact that there are more stories, there are more things that he didn't have the time to tell, and Matthew, Mark, Mark and Luke tell many of those stories, and then he makes this statement, but these are written that, or we could add there, so that, this is a key word, that, I'm telling you why I wrote the ones that I wrote. These are written, in fact, there are about eight miracles, I believe it is, in the Gospel of John, but these are written that you may, what? What? Believe. That you may believe, but not just a general belief, but that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He said, I took the time to write this for you and to lay it out in the way that I have this unique inspiration of the Holy Spirit and and, and there are a lot of other stories that I could have included but but I wrote these, these truths so that you would believe that Jesus is the Messiah. By the way, the Messiah means the promised coming King, the anointed one, the Son of God and that by believing you may have what? Life in his name. I want you to understand, John says, that this is the whole reason for the book. If you don't get this, you don't get the reason why I wrote it. I want you to believe. John, through his gospel, as you read it, you'll find out that this word right here, believe, shows up time and time again. The word believe in the gospel of John is found at least 90 times. But it's very interesting how John uses the word believe in his writings. He never uses the word believe or belief as a noun. He always uses it as a verb. Because for John, belief was not just a thing. I have a thing called a belief. No, he says, for me, and I want you to understand that belief is not a a thing. It's not just something that's sort of an object in your life. It's a verb, it's something that results in some kind of action. It results in some kind of effect upon your life. It changes the way you think. It changes the way you speak. It changes the way you live. It changes what you do with your life. And so when John 90 times speaks of the word believing or belief, it's always in the form of something that relates to an action. That is, if we're going to believe in Jesus in the the way that the Scripture teaches us to believe in Him, it's going to change your life, amen? It's not just, yeah, I have a belief. And a lot of people in the world will say, well, I have a belief. And it's just a noun to them. It's not a verb that changes the way they think and the way that they believe. And so I want to ask you ask all of us this weekend as we've gathered together and those online with us as well, what do you believe about Jesus? Do you believe, do you believe in an action sort of way that Jesus is the Messiah, that He is the Son of God, so that by believing these things, you have something real in your life called life? And that word, we'll come back to it later throughout this, is the word Zoe. You'll have a a divine kind of life inside of you. So we're talking about What do you believe?" And I want to talk this weekend about confidence that we can have it that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, by my first reason, and my first reason you and I can believe, and John lays out for us in his gospel, is because of the words he spoke. You can believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God by the words that he spoke and I want to share with you three things this weekend that you need to understand about God's Word in your life and how it gives you life and how it changes the way you think and the way that you live. The first one that I want you to note with me this weekend is that words matter. Words make a difference in life, do they not? Now, I mentioned this last weekend. I'll mention it again this weekend for those that are on site. It is okay to say amen through a mask. It's all right, okay? You have permission to do that, okay? Just don't spit on anybody in the process, okay? Just just keep your mask on, but say amen. Words make a difference in life. Someone's words to you can impact you. Somebody can say something to you and and they can hurt your feelings. You ever had your feelings hurt just by what somebody said to you? Or someone can say something to you and they can lift you up and they can strengthen you and they can encourage you. Words really do matter. Your words impact other people and their words impact you. And you and I will never develop confidence in Jesus if we don't have confidence in the words that he spoke. We have to believe that Jesus' words are powerful and Jesus' words are unique. And I will tell you that Jesus' words, no, no word has ever accomplished more than the words that Jesus spoke. No words. They're unique. They're divine. No human being has ever been able to speak the kind of words that Jesus spoke. And we'll lay this out more for us in just a few moments. But I want you to hear what Jesus said about his own words In John chapter 6, verse 63, he says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you, what are they? They are Spirit and they are life. Jesus says, I want you to to segment out my words from human words. We all understand human words, but I want you now to put my words in a completely different category. And that category is a a divine category. It's it's understanding that when I speak something to you, I'm speaking to you at the deepest places of your being. See, human beings can't change someone in the deepest places of their lives. Only God can. And so what Jesus says is, when I speak to you, I'm speaking to the deepest part of your being. I will be able to address needs and your life that no one else can. And that's such an important thing for us to remember because so often in life we're trying to find somebody to say the thing to us that's going to make us feel better about our lives and heal us and restore us and get us back to where we want to be in life and so we go around looking for that one relationship or that one person that'll speak those quote magic words to us that'll make us feel significant and valuable and loved and all those kind of things let me tell you something that human person doesn't exist but Jesus can speak to your spirit in a way that no human can He says, my words are spirit, and they're not only spirit, but they are life. When I speak to you, it's like a breath of fresh air, that when my word comes into you, it is a word that not only touches you in the deepest places of your being, but it makes you come alive in a way that you've never come alive before. So Jesus' words have the power to speak to us deeply and the power to give us life, to touch you at the deepest places of your being. It's very important. To remember that Jesus' words matter. His words are different from any human word. They they were not and are not human words. They have unique power. And Jesus' words really matter. Here's the second point I want to share with you this weekend. So words matter. And the Bible teaches us that Jesus is what? The word. What does that mean? Let's see if we can understand when when we talk about Jesus being the word, let me take you to John chapter one, because this is the way John, uh, actually it's not on here. I believe it's on the screen. Is it on the screen? Okay. On the main screens. There it is. I okay, can put it up on the screens here. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. That's how John begins his gospel. He says, before I tell you about anything, all these other stories, I want you to know something about who Jesus is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He comes down to verse 14 and said, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Notice that that statement, full of grace and truth. So I want you to say it with me, Jesus is the Word. Say it together. Jesus is the word. Now, the Greek word for word, the two primary Greek words for word, and the Greek word that John used for the word is the word logos. I pronounce that different ways. We get our word logo from it, like a logo of a company, whatever it might be. But it's, 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 it's something that speaks, it communicates. And the word logos or logos, how you want to pronounce it, refers to the living speaking voice, the utterance, the emphatic word, the expression, the intelligence of someone. And in this case, we're talking about the expression of God. And so when the scripture says Jesus, when John writes and says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God with God, and the word was God, he's talking about the reality that Jesus is the expression of God himself. And so when God came to earth, he came in the form of Jesus. And that's extremely important for us to understand that God loved us so much that He wanted to get His Word to us because His Word gets to our spirit and gives us life. That's how much He loves you. He wants to get His Word into you because He knows what His Word will do for you, so He came in human flesh in the form of Jesus, Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, and He was the Word in our very midst. And the Scripture says very clearly to us that this Word came to give us, to teach us I want you to say these two words with me, grace and truth. So the word is designed to speak a message of grace to us and a message of truth to us. I can get really excited about this. I hope you're excited as well. Okay. Because when Jesus came, he came with a message no one had ever heard before. And no one's been able to preach Since except when we preach the gospel of Jesus. He came to tell us that God's not mad at us. Did you hear that? He came to tell you God's not mad at you. Because all through the Old Testament, they had this image of God that he was going to somehow uh, be, be punitive toward them. And in fact, there was certainly wrath associated with God in the Old Testament, trying to get people's attention and those kind of things. There's a righteous indignation and anger that God certainly has. But Jesus came and said, I want you to know I'm coming as the word and the first word I want you to hear coming from heaven, okay? The first message that I want you to get coming from heaven. I'm down here on earth as the word, as the expression of God and the first thing he wants to say to you is grace my goodness I want to shout the first thing he wants to say to you is grace, what does grace mean? grace means that you're forgiven, grace means that you can be accepted in the family grace means that you can be saved grace means that you can be redeemed grace means that you can be restored grace means that God is able and desires to receive you in fellowship with him because of what Jesus did so he comes and says, I want to speak. The first thing I want to say I'm full of when I speak, any time I speak, what's flowing out of me is first and foremost. It's grace. It's grace. I want you to know that, that I'm not mad at you. I want you to come and have relationship with me. The second thing that's given there is not only grace, but what else? And what do you know about truth? What does the scripture say? What did Jesus say? You will know the truth. And what will the truth do? He'll set you free. So everything, listen closely, this is very important theology for you and also in your practice as a believer, is to understand that everything Jesus will ever say to you, will ever say to you, will always be for the purpose of communicating what? Grace that makes you feel loved and accepted and truth that will set you Every message of Jesus that he will ever speak in your life is designed for those two objectives because he came as the word full of grace and full of truth. So words matter and Jesus is God's word in the flesh. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Let's go to the third point together. If you can see that, why don't you read it together with me? Jesus' words have supernatural power. It's not uncommon for us to refer to someone's words as being powerful. You might hear a speech and say, well, that was a powerful speech or that was a powerful statement that person made. And so we we tend to acknowledge that words are, are, are powerful, impactful. And human words do have a certain degree of power associated with them. But Jesus' words don't just have a certain level of what I would call natural power associated with them, but Jesus' words have another degree of power, and that is supernatural. That is beyond what could happen with a natural word. It is supernatural. It's immeasurable beyond the power of human words. John chapter 6, verse 63, You read it a moment ago, and let me remind you of it again. Jesus says, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. They're supernatural. Now I'm going to share with you in wrapping up the message this weekend, I'm going to share with you seven things that the supernatural word of Jesus will do for you. But before I go into these I want to just backtrack for a moment. I'm just doing a little teaching with you tonight. Everybody okay? okay? Got it? you got to remember these things. Anything Jesus ever speaks into your life is for the purpose of communicating what? Grace and what else? Truth. Everything Jesus will ever say to you is designed to help you feel loved and accepted and brought into the family and connected with God and to help you be set free. God is not against you. God is for you. God is not mad at you. God loves you. God is not trying to get away from you. God is trying to get to you. God is not running from you. God is running to you. So many stories. The prodigal son, when he finds out that he needs to go back home to the father, when he comes back, his father runs to him and meets him. So all that Jesus will ever speak to you, the supernatural words of Jesus are designed to get way down into your spirit and give you an understanding of what? Why is this important? Because many of us way down in our hearts we don't feel loved. Way down in our hearts, we don't feel grace. Way down in our hearts, we feel sometimes condemned and ashamed and insecure and all kinds of things. We can just fill in the blank of all kind of negative thoughts. Have you ever listened to yourself talk to yourself before? You ever had that happen? You ever found yourself beating yourself up by your words? All the time, don't we? And so Jesus says, my words are spirit in their life. What are my words? My words are always grace. And truth, So I want to get that down deeply inside of you and and that will result in some supernatural effects in your life. Let's walk through these seven together very quickly, all right? Number one, the first thing that Jesus' words will do to you is we'll provide you supernatural guidance in your life. You and I don't know where to go. When it comes to life, has anybody got your life perfectly figured out? I don't know a single person in this room or watching online that you've got your life completely figured out. And if, you, if you're like me, I need a guide. How about you? I need someone that's going to help me get where I need to be because many times I don't even know where I need to be in life. So I need a guide. I need words that will guide me in my journey. I'm going to take you to John chapter 1, verses 35 through 42. Listen to how Jesus speaks and the guidance that it brings. The next day, John was there. This is John the Baptist, was there with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? And so back up to the story. Here's John the Baptist. Two of his disciples are there. Jesus comes along and John says, there's a son of God that takes away the sins of the world. And now these two disciples start following Jesus and Jesus says, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He says, come, he replied, and you will see. So here is a word. What was the word? Come. One word. Come and you will see. Okay. That is get off the path you're on right now and let me now be your leader, okay? Get off the path that you've decided for your life and now let me be your leader. Come and follow me. So they went and saw where he was staying and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. And then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus Guide, okay? The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. And so what I want you to see here is that in this story, there's this encounter that Jesus has with, certainly with Peter and with two other disciples, and it provides guidance for their life. Deep down in your spirit, you need to know that God's word in your life is valuable because it's going to get you where you need to be and define who you need to be in life. See, the the world doesn't need to define who you are, Jesus wants to define who you are because as as He defines you through that definition of who you are comes guidance for your life. You, you You have to know who you are at some level before you know where you're going. If you don't know who you are, you have no clue of where you ought to go in life. And the good news is that God, through His Word, will guide you in grace and truth. The second thing that Jesus does through His Word is He instructs us. He gives us instructions. Listen to John chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. When it was time, almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem in the temple courts. He found people selling cattle, sheep, doves, and other, others sitting at the table exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned the tables. To those who sold doves, he said... So now we're about to hear him say something, right? Words. He said, get these out of here. Stop turning my house into a market. His disciples, remember that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. What I want you to see in that passage is that here were a group of people who are totally wrecking worship. They didn't have an understanding of what worship ought to be and the reverence of it. And so Jesus speaks instructions into the life to change their view of what worship was all about. There are many things that we have in life that we think we know the right way to do something, but we really don't. We need Jesus' words filled with grace and truth to give us the instructions that we need to go forward. Here's the third thing. The third thing that the Word of God and the words of Jesus will do for you is to illuminate your life, to enlighten, to bring revelation, to bring insight when you're in the dark, when you don't understand what needs to happen. John 3, verse 3, Jesus replied, that is, He said something. He's speaking now very truly. I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. He's talking to a man by the name of Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is trying to figure out the spiritual journey and who Jesus is and what Jesus means for his for his own life. And there in that moment, Jesus spoke something that opened up Nicodemus' eyes to understand that he needed to be born again. I think about my own life, and perhaps you can describe it in your own life, that when you were, were saved, when you met Jesus as the personal Lord and Savior of your life. You may have gone to church a lot of times before that, or maybe you heard the gospel many times before it, but it never made any sense to you or you'd never responded to it. But there was that one day that you were sitting in a church service and the Holy Spirit took something that was said, and all of a sudden, boom, you understood it, said, oh, yeah, that's what I need in my life. And you gave your life to Jesus because Jesus' words illuminated you. It gave you, it touched your spirit and gave you life. Next one, valuable here. What is His word? It's supernatural. His word will convict you, it will convince you, and it will convert you. That's why you need to be in the Bible, because when you're in the Bible, you and I are exposing ourselves to the words that can convict us. Now the word convict, we often think of it in a negative term, as terms of being convicted of a crime or something of that nature, that's not what I'm talking about here. The word convict, in the biblical sense of the word, means to make you aware of something that needs to be adjusted or corrected in your life, okay? And again, anytime Jesus corrects you or adjusts anything in your life, it's it's because he has love for you and it's because he wants to free you. That's what he wants to do, grace and truth. And so when we're into God's word, he brings conviction, he helps us to see things that we need to see, and then he convinces us of his truth that it's better to live his way rather than ours. And then once we accept it, it converts our life. It changes us completely. Let me just ask a question here, and you don't need to raise your hand on this, but you can shake your head if you're in agreement or if you can say, you know, I've had that experience in my life. Has there ever been a point in time in your life when you've either been in a service somewhere like we're together this weekend, watching online or on site, and something that was said as the scriptures were being taught or maybe in your own devotional time you're reading something in scripture and suddenly you realize, my goodness, that's something that I need to address in my life right now, and you were convicted about it. And, and in that moment, God convinced you that his way was better than your way, okay? You're, you're sitting there, you're reading your Bible, or you're sitting in a service, and you're, my good. oh, I never saw that before. Wow, my goodness, I was blind to that. I didn't even see it. And then God convinces you, you know, my way is better than your way. And then once he's, con- and, and then what flows out of being convicted and convinced is repentance. You repent. And say, oh, God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Help me to change. And then God, by his power, helps you change your life. Anybody ever had that moment that you're not the same person you used to be because this process happened in your life, right? Right, amen? Amen. That's a beautiful thing. That's when we understand the word gives us spirit, touches our spirit. and gives us life, changes us, converts us from the inside out. The next word I'll give you here is his word is supernatural, bring inspiration to your life. John 4. By the way, I did not read the verses under, under the last one. It was John 4, 28 and 29. I want to take you to John 4, 49, under the word inspire. Here's a great story. Listen to what happens. The royal official said, he goes to, there's a royal official that comes to Jesus making a request. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. So his child was about to die. And Now here Jesus speaks, Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. So here's a guy coming to him saying, Jesus, I need you to come to my house. My son's dying. I'm begging you to come and heal him. All Jesus says is, go, your son will live. Would you agree that's a very simple statement? Now let's see what happens. The man took Jesus at his... What? What are we talking about here this weekend? The word... Jesus took this man took Jesus at his word and departed while he was still on the way his servants met him with the news that his boy was living when he inquired as to the time when his son got better they said yesterday at one in the afternoon the fever left him then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him your son will live so he and his whole household what Why? Because there was this inspirational moment where Jesus said, Go, your son will live. And I will tell you something. There are moments in your life when you're struggling, and you feel like you're about to die on the inside, and you've lost every bit of inspiration to even live at all, and this hope is gone, and you're feeling despair and about to give up. And all it takes is that one little word from Jesus. He said, Go, you're going to live. I'm putting something of hope inside of you in that one little That one little word from him will inspire you to a new dimension of life. Next word is restore. I love that word. John 5, verses 8 and 9. Jesus was at the pool of Bethesda, and this man had been there for 38 years. He'd been paralyzed and not made his way into the... uh, into the water to be healed. And so Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? And the man says, well, I don't know if I can ever get in the water. And Jesus then spoke to him and said to him, notice this, verse eight, then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And notice what happens next. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat. And what else did he do? He walked. All it took was that one, one word from Jesus and 38 years of trouble went away. I'm telling you, the word of Jesus is powerful. I've seen it happen in our church over the years. I've seen people whose lives have been just traumatized for years and sometimes for decades like this man. And then the word starts getting into them. The word starts beginning to work in them. And before long, they're getting up and they're walking like they never walked before. They're leaving some things behind and living life the way they never lived before. Why? Because his words are spirit and they are life. Last word I'll give you here with this we're going to conclude, but it's a very important phrase. His words give us purpose. I really want to focus on this one just as I'm wrapping up in the next minute or so because I want you to really grab this one. If you don't grab any of the other ones, I want you to get this one because it ties together this grace and truth concept that we mentioned a moment ago. It's in John chapter 21. Let me lay this story out for you and then we'll see how Jesus, through his word, gave someone purpose in their life again. When Jesus was uh, being arrested before his crucifixion, Peter was in the courtyard of Caiaphas, the high priest that was there and where Jesus was undergoing all this interrogation and this uh, punishment and suffering. They were whipping him and beating him and asking him questions and And there was Peter, he was over by the side of the courtyard, he's sitting by a fire. And there's a young girl there and said, I think you're one of his disciples, aren't you? Don't you belong to him? No, I don't belong to him. Two more times this young girl asked him, aren't you one of those disciples? And three times Peter said, no, no, no. In fact, the Bible says one time he even cursed and said, no, I'm not part of that group. Jesus had predicted that that was going to happen before the rooster crowed the next morning that he would deny him three times and after the third time Jesus was close enough to where Peter's eyes met Jesus' eyes and the Bible says at that moment Peter jumped up and ran away and he wept bitterly because he knew that in Jesus' most significant moment he had disappointed him. He had failed. We don't know all that Peter went through but we know that for a period of time he struggled with that. Would you struggle with that? I would. That when my Savior needed me the most and I'd spent three and a half years with him and now I've really blown it. And he went out and he wept bitterly and it began to eat away at him and I think he had some up moments and down moments, but it finally came to a, to a sort of a, a point of real frustration for him a few weeks later before, he, before Jesus ascended. And he said to the disciples, some of his friends one day, he says, you know what, guys, I'm hanging around with you, but I'm just, I'm going back out to fish again. I don't think this, this, this ministry thing is for me. I think I've kind of done, I'm I'm gone with that, done with that. I think I'm just going to go back out and fish and to show you what kind of influence Peter had the other guy. So I guess we'll go with you. So they all go out to fish, and the Bible says that they fish all night long, and they don't catch anything because they're fishing in their despair, and and they haven't caught a single thing. But then Jesus shows up on the seashore, and he, he calls them, and they realize it is Jesus. And so the Bible says that Peter jumps out of the boat, and he swims to the seashore where Jesus was. Because I believe he saw in the eyes of Jesus that grace that he was looking for and that restoration and that purpose that he was looking for again because he had lost his purpose. See Jesus had called him away from fishing and he was now going back to fishing. He had lost his purpose. And so Jesus fixed them a meal, and and Peter was there with him, and and finally Jesus begins a one-on-one conversation with Simon Peter. Let's pick up the story in John chapter 21, verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said, words... love me. He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Here's what I want you to see. I'm going to conclude with this. How many times did did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. And that those three moments, critical moments in the failure in Peter's life was haunting him. It had robbed him of his sense of purpose. It had left him feeling like there's nothing else for me to do except to go back and fish. Jesus finds him in a moment when his purpose is gone and Jesus comes and says, Peter, come and sit down. Do you love me? Yes. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes. Take care of my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Peter realized at that point in time that this was a painful thing to realize that he had failed, but he's still trying to find his way back. He was hurt that Jesus even had to ask him the question. He says, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Why did Jesus say to him, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep? Why? Not one time did Jesus say, take care of my fish. He said, feed my sheep. He was taking Peter back from a lost purpose and bringing him what he was created to do. Amen. I want you to know this weekend that Jesus' words are supernatural that's why you need to get them inside of you, their spirit and their life, they will go down to the deepest place of your soul and work in the deepest places of your life that nothing else ever will and when the word gets in you life begins to happen through you and all these seven things that we just described can be your portion as well, would you bow your heads together with me as we pray Father, we're so very grateful for the word of God this weekend. We're grateful that as we study the gospel of John, that you're, you're saying things to us, Lord. I believe you've been speaking to people this very evening. And I pray through the powerful name of Jesus that, Lord, you would just take that word and settle it deeply in every heart. I pray, Lord, whatever it is that we need from you, that we would begin to open up to your word, Jesus, and let it begin to get down to the deepest places of our being into to our spirits. And let it bring us, Zoe, let it bring us life, we pray, in Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me, and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray. and. You can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out, and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God, and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus, I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name,